Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast, episode 22, Under Russian Rule, Estonia After the Great Northern War. In last episode, we went over the Great Northern War, and we knocked it out in one episode. We were able to cover most of the important details of the war, especially as it relates to Estonia. What probably wasn't mentioned enough was the terrible suffering of the Estonian population. The Great Northern War devastated Estonia more than any other war in the country's history, and that is saying quite a bit. A high price was paid by Estonians for Russia's window to Europe, which cost the lives of more than half of Estonia's population. By the end of all military activities, 120,000 to 140,000 people survived, less than the total population of the early 13th century. The barren land offered a miserable view. Folklore speaks of churches surrounded by overgrown woods and people searching for each other by footprints. Fields untilled for many years lay fallow, while cattle herds perished. The manors were also in poor shape at the beginning of the 18th century. The manor houses of those days did not differ much from the barn dwellings of peasants. Straw roofs, narrow windows, and walls built of wooden logs. A scarcity of food and shoddy clothing demonstrated the poverty of the time rather than the wealth. However, the land recovered from the devastation of war surprisingly fast. The ensuing long period of peace allowed for quick growth in the population. Empty farms were re-inhabited by new settlers. By the middle of the 18th century, the population bounced back, reaching the pre-war level, and by the end of the century, it exceeded half a million. Although Russia's victory profoundly changed the balance of force in Northern Europe, Russia did not feel confident of its lasting dominance over the conquered territories. Sweden's defeat was not so devastating as to rule out a desire to retake lost territories. Russia's advance also made West European states nervous, resulting in countermeasures being taken. In such a situation, it was important for Russia to secure the support of the local Baltic German nobility. In order to gain the support of Baltic nobles, Do you remember the reduction we talked about in the Swedish era? It was a program of taking the manors owned by the Baltic nobility and putting them in the portfolio of the Swedish state. Well, Russia began to give back some of these properties taken over during Swedish rule. This began even before the end of the war. Even the noblemen that fled to Sweden during the war could get their manors back if they returned by a certain date. Such a step definitely helped solicit the support of the Baltic nobility for Russia. Back in Estonia, with their manners, the former rights of the nobility over peasants were restored. The main aspects of the administrative order in the Baltics were fixed in the 1721 Usikalponki Peace Treaty between Russia and Sweden. The Baltic nobility and towns retained extensive self-rule in the Russian Empire. Standing laws and tax arrangements were enforced. Estonia and Livonia were further isolated from the inner Russian provinces 
by the prevailing Lutheran faith, German language, administrative and customs border. The highest representatives of the Russian central power were the governor general, appointed to Tallinn and Riga. Those offices were, as a rule, filled not with Russians, but foreigners having made their career in the Russian army. Otto Gustav Douglas, Donna Waldemar Lohendahl, and Holstein Prince Peter August von Holstein Beck held the governor general's office in Tallinn, while Peter Lacey and George Brown, both Irish, managed the post at Riga. The main priority of the state authority was to maintain the government's forces in the provinces and to supervise tax collection. As high officers, the governor generals often visited St. Petersburg and showed little interest in Baltic affairs. Actual power was left in the two administrative aides appointed from among local nobles. The noble self-rule in Estonia, Livonia, and Sarama was executed by the knighthood, and whereby the organizational structure of the Swedish era was retained. Noble gatherings, the Diets, no longer comprised of representatives of towns, as had been customary before. The knighthood attempted to impose their control over the church as well as claim seats in the ruling church authorities. In the 1730s to 1740s, the special members list of the knighthood or peerage books were drawn up. Only registered nobles had political and economic privileges in Estonia and Livonia. The peerage books were to protect the privileges of local hereditary nobility from German and Russian newcomers. The Baltic nobility's self-rule was substantially supported by Germans invited to St. Petersburg court during the era of Peter the Great. It was even planned to unite Estonia and Livonia into a separate vassal state, which would have been tied to Russia only through the Tsar himself. For the administration of court and financial procedures, special authorities were established in St. Petersburg for the Baltic provinces. These were the Board of Justice for Estonian and Livonian matters, and the Chamber Office for Estonian and Livonian Matters. Self-rule was retained in local towns as well. Smaller towns, devastated by the Northern War, had been taken by nearby landlords, and townspeople, like peasants, were forced into corvée. Paide and Rockvere demanded reinstatement of their rights by Russia, but their claims remain unanswered in St. Petersburg. Political rights were no longer held by all townspeople, but citizens only. Citizenship was granted by the town council. For Estonians, the way to citizenship was largely blocked throughout the 18th century. The towns did not form an anti-knighthood front. The achievement of that goal was hampered by internal quarrels over trading rights and frequent disagreements between town councils and its citizens. Such clashes were most notable in Tartu, of which satisfaction with the authorities was a rare occurrence. The Baltic nobility's unlimited control over local matters 
was executed only at the expense of the rights of the local people, the Estonians. The highest officials of the self-governments, the district magistrates and town councillors, were not elected but appointed for life by the magistrate board or the town council, respectively. On the other hand, the Baltic Special Order acted as a dividing line between Russia and the Baltics, helping to maintain local culture, individuality, and prevent colonization, which would have been likely fatal to the native people and culture. It also enabled ties to Western Europe, thereby providing faster development compared to Russia's inner provinces. The main income for estates and farms throughout the 18th century played the main role in the agricultural revival. The privilege of duty-free trade favored continuing grain export to Sweden. A new grain consumer arose in the form of about 50,000 Russian troops stationed in the Baltics. To provide for them at lower expense, the government occasionally prohibited grain exports, drawing fierce criticism from the Baltic nobles. Grain spirits, or alcohol, soon became the main export to Russia, the income being characterized contemporarily as a silver reign over Estonia. It was in the 18th century that virgin forests were cut to heat the distilleries. Long trains of barrels headed to St. Petersburg throughout the winter. The distillery refuse was used to fatten oxen, which were also delivered to the St. Petersburg market. This was a foundation to more extensive cattle breeding in the estates. That, in turn, improved fertilization of the land and the yield as well. Peasants who earlier tried to assert their rights in the Swedish capital now tried to find similar support in St. Petersburg. In 1737, a miller from the manor of Vohnia in Viruma, Jan submitted a written complaint to the empress against his persecuting landlord. The state authorities then asked the nobles to explain the rights of the peasantry in the Baltic countries. The explanatory letter in 1739 from Baron Otto Fabian Rosen, a district magistrate in Livonia, became widely known as the Rosen Declaration. According to Rosen, local peasants were serfs, of whom the landlords could bequeath, exchange, and sell like any other manorial property. The peasants belonged to the manor, like all other property. In order to use the land, the peasants were required to perform statue labor, the amount of which was unlimited, according to Rosen. The magistrate believed that judicial authority over the peasants belonged to the nobility only, not the state. The Rosen Declaration corresponded to the attitude of landlords at the time. The state also began to support such a policy. Thus, under Russian rule, the peasants lost all the rights they gained during Swedish rule. They were now relegated to simply serfs without rights. However, the economic interest of the landlords protected the peasants more than state authority and law. Unlimited exploitation would have resulted in the ruining of the farm, as well as the manor itself due to the flight of the peasants. 
Until the middle of the century, there were still empty farms in Estonia where runaway serfs could settle. In later times, runaway serfs fled overseas to Finland and Sweden, as well as the Russian province of Peskov. Entire villages of peasants fleeing from Livonia appeared at the foot of Petri Monastery in Peskov. From the middle of the 18th century, trade began to pick up after being at a standstill from the country's absorption into Russia. As maritime trade accounted for the main part of income for state coffers from the Baltic region, the Russian government eagerly intervened in the organization of local trade. Bans on the import and export of certain trade goods, which protected the rights of local craftsmen and merchants, were lifted. As they decreased the import of trade goods, and therefore decreased the potential income of the state. Attempts by the government to increase activities in the newly built port of St. Petersburg hindered the development of trade. Various advantages and privileges were given to the Russian capital's port that in turn reduced the share of trade in Tallinn, Narva, and Pernu. Among exports, grain, timber, flax, and hemp still played a major role. Among imports, peasant goods predominated, salt, iron, tobacco, and herring. The nobility and well-off citizens also demanded luxury goods and textiles. In manors, distilleries, sawmills, brickyards, and lime kilns continued to operate. Their production usually covered the needs of the surrounding manors. The factories that were founded during the Swedish rule were either destroyed in the war or had ceased operations. In 1734, a paper mill was founded in the manor of Rapina on the Vohandu River, which is believed to be the oldest industrial enterprise in Estonia that's still active today. And you can visit their website and learn more about it at www.rapin.ee. In the second half of the 18th century, the establishment of factories increased. Valdemar Johann van Lau, an enterprising landlord, was active in Poltsama. Having started his business with the production of bottles, he continued with glass for windows and mirrors, and even started to produce expensive porcelain in Poltsama. Factories also sprang up in towns, producing some of the most sought-after goods at the time, candles, soap, tobacco, and starch. Valdemar Johann van Lau also established a small hospital and the first herbal pharmacy in Pultsama, which offered medical help and courses to local peasants free of charge. In the 18th century, guilds, with its medieval restrictions and regulations, still influenced crafts in towns. As the economy grew, it became more difficult to preserve the monopoly of the guilds. The support of provincial authority was needed to protect local merchants and craftsmen from competitors in the East and West. Usually by strict orders and bans, in order to guarantee profitability to local merchants, they were given the sole right of purchasing such goods. All others could purchase goods, but only for personal needs and not for resale. And this is where we will leave our timeline for today. When we meet next time, we will cover Estonia in the second half of the 18th century 
And if we have time, we will also cover religion and culture in the same time frame and learn how the country and its people develop under Russian rule. Until next time, Nagamiseni.